You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Wasn't that good? Golly. You guys can do it every week. Who needs Sarah? Well, take that back. Yeah, yeah. No, it... It's, uh, it's really good knowing that Sarah's pastoral role here is a big piece of why this group does so well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We are going to take a look at Scripture together, but before we do that, uh, one of the things I need to tell you is we got the bad news that Gene St. John went to be with the Lord on October 7th. He's been around here. He, you can see just from this picture of his family, uh, just a really fun-loving guy, uh, family man, volunteer here in children's ministry, chair team, just, he loved to serve. And he went to be with the Lord. And uh, on their Facebook page, this is just such a special picture, and especially in light of what we're teaching down at the wedding of Cana, because this is on Kaylee's, his daughter's page. And this is him at her wedding. And you look at that act of, that just, can you, everybody just radiate love like that? It's just amazing. And he and Carla, great marriage. I called Kaylee yesterday just to get a word from them, and it turned out that she was with her mom, Carla. And uh, this is what they sent me on by text. I was, he was a loving father, husband, papa. He loved God and loved serving others. He volunteered in church in several different ways, children's church, chair team, security team. Nothing he learned more than being helpful, except maybe a good cup of coffee. <laughs> He'll be greatly missed, indeed. There won't be a service. The family is going to do a private memorial. But we just want to say thank you to a man who's served long and well here at Grace Community Church. And we want to memorialize him here this morning as we go to our scripture passage for the day. John chapter 2, the wedding at Cana. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it came from though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheap wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. What Jesus did there in Canaan and Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. It's quite a story. And we say, the word of God. Weddings. Who doesn't like weddings? Anybody doesn't like weddings? 
We've had a kind of a spate of romances around here, and one of them went really well. Our keyboardist got married just a short while ago, Kylan and Emily. Now, this is a good thing because Stephen Anderson, our student ministry pastor, and Jay Messenger, our lead pastor, their kids got hitched. It's a staff wedding. It's a good thing. And it was kind of an unusual wedding because you always leave in a really cool limousine or antique car or something like that just to celebrate the, the finishing up of the ceremony. And Kylan and Emily drove away like this. <laughs> I, it's so fun. It's so fun. It is so fun. I wasn't able to be at the wedding, but the stories rebound. And just seeing them in love with each other is incredible. Now, I got I to gotta ask you, do you know who this is? Do you know who this is? This is my second granddaughter, Joy, David's son. This is about 15 years ago, to be sure. Isn't she cute? Come on, say yes. You online too. Come on, say yes. Yeah. Uh, this is Joy, excited, eager. She didn't wear glasses, but she thought it'd be cool to do it, so she experimental. And this is Joy a little bit older. This is just about a year ago. Artistic, musical. Was Dorothy and Wizard of Oz graduated from Hermiston High School? And that thing she's holding looks like that. Am I proud of her? Yeah, you bet I am. Joy is just amazing. And uh, she met this guy, Nathaniel. And he's a technical agriculturalist. I mean, he doesn't just drive tractors, he flies drones. He's, one of his t-shirts is, I'm a drone pilot. If I duck, you should too. <laughs> He's just a great guy. Grew up just east of Madras, a little town over there in a home fellowship there. Well, this happened Friday night. Yes. <laughs> now, what's the date of their wedding? It's a state secret. I think nobody knows yet, but we're eagerly anticipating. It's just so fun. And there are a couple of romances around here. They're maybe not far. You know, weddings are really cool. And that's where Jesus goes for his very first very first. And we got to ask ourselves, why in the world did John pick this story to be the inaugural story of his entire gospel? This is a little wedding in a little town. I mean, Cana in Galilee is so obscure, it's like Elkton in Oregon. How many know where Elkton is? Several of you. But a lot of you don't. The only reason I know where Elkton is, because that's, uh, that's where Hazens are. And uh, I, they're great friends. I wouldn't know Elkton other than that. It's, it's, it's not a bad town. Uh, maybe I should ask how many have actually been in Elkton. But see, it's an obscure town. And, but here he tells us why it is. What Jesus did here in Gain of Galilee was the first of the signs... And so what is a sign? These are miracles showing the presence of the kingdom. This is a place where God's best shows through in creation's brokenness. This is first, so this particular sign is the first sign. And so we think about this, and we need to analyze the story a little bit. We've read it there. Third day, a wedding took place. And so when you think of wedding, or a banquet, or a feast, and you look back to see what the symbolism of that is. If you go to 1 Chronicles 12, 
These soldiers spent three days there with David eating and drinking for a family that supplied provisions. Also, the neighbors from as far away as Issachar, Zebulun, and Nephtali, I mean, that's a long ways from Jerusalem, a long ways, came bringing food on donkeys, camels, mules, oxen. There were plentiful supplies of flour, fig cakes, raisin cakes, wine, olive oil. Man, there was joy in Israel. And what are they celebrating? They're celebrating David becoming king. See, that's what a feast is for, is to celebrate you heard uh, Isabella read this passage. This is celebrating God prepares a feast for us in the presence of our enemies, Psalm 23. So when you think of what this is, it's a place to celebrate victories, weddings, and above all, God's blessing. So when you see wedding, you think of joyous celebration. Okay, that's not hard. What are we happening here? On the mountain of the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wines. Best of meats, finest of wines, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. This is looking forward to a future time. A future time of incredible blessing. It's Revelation 19. You heard Jared read this. This is looking forward to a time, hallelujah. Let's rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. Blessed are those who have been invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So we're looking forward to the end of this age is a feast at a wedding. Maybe that's why John picked that. Because this is a wedding is a foretaste of the messianic banquet that we look forward to when we feast with our Savior and his people. How about wine? Well, let's look at it. Jeremiah 31. The Lord replied to them, I'm sending you grain, new wine. Oops, didn't want to do that yet. Uh, new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again I'll make you an object of scorn to the nations. Do not be afraid, land of Judah. Be glad and rejoice. Sure, the Lord has done great things. See, wine is connected with joy and gladness and rejoicing upon God's blessing with sustenance and life. But there's another dimension to wine. And we see this in Joel chapter 1, a prophetic speaking of judgment. And it talks about a day when the fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, grain is destroyed, new wine is dried up, olive oil fails. What does this say when those things fail? Well, that's speaking to a time of God's curse. See, when you have no wine, it's a symbol that God's blessing has been withdrawn and perhaps his curse has come. And again, that looks forward. Jeremiah 31 again. They shall come and shout for joy, heights of Zion. They'll rejoice in the body of the Lord. The grain, the new wine, olive oil, young of the flocks and herds. There'll be a well-dressed water garden. They will sorrow no more. And then young women will dance and be glad. Young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I'll give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. It's an incredible time of blessing. Eschatological blessing. Or if you like big theological words like that, you can just put in messianic blessing. A time in the future when Messiah will come and joy will break forth everywhere with feasting and wine and the goodness but there's another dimension too. Old and New Testament. Revelation 16, the entire chapter is talking about this. I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the angels, go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath. 
And this is a different kind of wine. This is the wine of God's curse. So it's not just the eschatological blessing, it's eschatological judgment on the enemies of God. And that's a mixed thing. I hate that on one level, but man, do I want the enemies to be stopped. Oh, do I long for the day when I don't have to teach my granddaughters good touch, bad touch. That's what we're talking about here. John 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, what does it mean, the Son of Man to be glorified? He gives the enigmatic, very true, I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And he goes on a little bit later in the same chapter. But I, when I'm lifted up to earth, will show you how I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. What is God's, what is the hour of Messiah? Well, that's the day of his crucifixion. And the unbearable agony that's going to be involved, the hour is Jesus' death. And when you see hour, it's in the book of John. That's what it's talking to. It's there a lot of times. Exodus 40, one more element. Moses placed the basin, this is talking about the tabernacle, between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. Moses and Aaron washed their hands and feet. They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting and approached the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. What is that for? What is that water for? It's to wash, to prepare for service. Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees and some of the teachers who had gathered Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. They saw some of the disciples eating foods with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now here's the explanation. The righteous people in Israel, all the Jews, do not elite unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. What does that mean? I'm preparing, I'm preparing for God's presence or God's service. What washing means, when you see that, is that mosaic code to prepare. It's a symbol of I'm washing my hands to say I'm prepared to do it, be in God's presence. We do the same kind of thing today with a prayer of blessing before we eat. Different kind of symbol of the similar thing. Okay, now let's look at our story. Having examined some of the elements of the story. So when you see wedding, what do you think? What do you think? Online folk, what do you think? You don't get to just sit there. You've got to participate, okay? If you're listening like 15 hours from now, come on. What does wedding celebrate? What does wedding signify? Celebrating God's blessing. Okay, he said, celebration, yay! Okay. Foretaste of the Messianic banquet. When's that going to happen? In the day of his final coming. We're looking forward to an incredible feast that's yet to come. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and disciples had been invited to the wedding. When the wine makes you think what? What does wine signify? Well, that's God's blessing again. But there's something else here because here the wine is gone. What does it mean when there's no wine? Well, in the culture, it means an incredible shame for the bridegroom because he did not sufficiently provide for his guests. And the bridegroom and the people would, uh, in charge would be panicked at this point because this kind of insult would never be lived down. 
Incredible shame. Incredible shame. But see, if you look in Scripture, there's a bigger issue. What does no wine mean? No wine means a symbol of God's curse. And you wonder, what does it mean when it says the wine is gone? Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now I find myself thinking, how did she know? And what she's saying? How many people know there's no wine? Well, a little bit later we see the wine master, the toast master, apparently is unaware they've run out of wine. So somehow she has inside knowledge. We don't know how. And she just makes a statement. She says to Jesus, hey, the wine's gone. And Jesus' response is, why do you involve me? And literally, it's, what's, what's that between you and me? It's, it's almost rebuke. Why tell me? I'm not the wine master. And he adds one more thing. He says, my hour has not yet come. What does hour mean? What does hour mean? It's the time of his death, time of his crucifixion. And I look at this, why is Jesus so brusque with his mother here? It's hard to know, but in light of the various symbols that are in here, I find myself thinking Jesus at a wedding, thinking of his wedding. When Shai and I go to weddings, we were just at Eric and Cynthia's wedding just recently, and we were sitting together. It's unusual. Normally, I'm one of the officiants. This time, I just did a prayer of blessing. So Shai and I were together, and we were thinking about our own wedding 54 and a bit years ago. Single people look forward to a wedding. Who is Jesus anticipating being married to? Or Mary Magdalene, of course. Don't you read the social media? <laughs> no. He is thinking about a wedding that's yet way future. The wedding supper of the Lamb. And he'll be married to whom? The church, his beautiful bride. And we're preparing ourselves now to be the beautiful bride of the precious Son of the Lord of God. And he's thinking about that. Where will the wine for that wedding come from? Where will the wine for that wedding come from? It'll come at the cross. So he's thinking of his own wedding, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But he's also thinking what it's going to cost him to provide for that wedding. And I can imagine there's a lot going on in his mind. I think that's why John picked this. It's so full of symbolism. My hour's not yet come. It's not time for me to die. Why are you involving me in this? Now he's talking about a, another wedding, just this one in Cana with the shame of no wine present. Nearby stood six stone water jars for ceremonial washing. Now when you think of ceremonial washing, what are you thinking of? You're talking about cleansing for God's service. Cleansing to be in God's presence. That's what you do. Is to recognize God's presence and ceremony wash to be prepared for that. 
Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. Okay, now you're a servant at a wedding, and this guy you don't even know tells you to fill jars with water. What are you thinking? Who are you? I mean, put yourself in the story. That's what we're asked to do. But what do they do? For one reason or another, they go and fill the jars to the brim. Draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Okay, the master of the banquet is a toastmaster. He's the guy in charge. He's the life of the party. He's making sure everybody's having a good time. And they bring him that, and he tasted the... He didn't know where it came from. And what did he taste? Incredible wine. And he's shocked, as we see. Why would you save the best to now? Nobody in their right mind would do that. You do it early while everybody's still got enough sense in their head to realize this is good stuff. Give them the cheap stuff later when they're about half drunk. You know, they won't know anyway. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after, but you have saved the best until now. So water, cleansing for service, Mosaic Covenant stuff, Wine represents what? Eschatological blessing, God's blessing. New covenant, time of the Messiah. What does now represent? Well, what it's saying here is the Messianic blessing is now. Messiah's blessing has begun, and it begins with a wedding feast. Incredible. Incredible. I would think it might begin with a, you know, a, a sacrifice. No, no, it begins with a feast. In fact, the Mosaic Covenant, Exodus 24 at the inauguration of that covenant, Moses, Joshua, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 elders go up on the mountain to meet God, and they sit down and feast at that place too, the inauguration of the Mosaic Covenant. This feast pictures what we do when we do communion, but it looks forward to the time of Messianic blessing. It's begun. So let's think about some lessons. As we do this little tour through a story and explore some of the symbolism involved here. And again, what John is saying is the central element of the Christian life is a wedding feast. What does our Lord Jesus Christ want to be to us? What does this say? Does he want to be a ruling king? Does he, want us to be our, does he want to be a ruling king and be his loyal subjects? It's not a wedding feast. Does he want to be our priest and pray for us? It's not a wedding feast. Does he want to be our shepherd and we're his sheep following him and providing for us? Those are all symbols associated with Messiah. But as John tells the story, the number one thing is, what is Jesus' highest desire for us? He wants to be our what? Bridegroom. And that makes us what? 
incredible. The Lord Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity who came to heaven and earth, wants to be our bridegroom, and he wants us to be married to him. What an incredible, and that begins with a feast. My hours come, do whatever he wants. They have no more wine. Mary, now this is what happens at a wedding. Because that's our relationship with Jesus, John tells us. She comes to Jesus with no demands, no expectations. She brings her need to the Messiah, to her son. What does that say to us? Bring your needs to him. Well, I'm just, I bring the big things. I don't bother him with the little things. Idiot. He wants the little things. Come on. Bring everything to him and talk about it. This is a marriage analogy. Talk about it openly. Bring your needs. She says, do whatever he tells you to do. Now, does she know he's going to turn this water into wine? Not a clue. This is the first sign that John tells us. There's no history of miracles as John tells the story. Now, she's grown up with him. She knows he's amazing. She has heard Gabriel tell him what's going to happen. But she brings and says, do whatever it is. And what I see here is she has high expectations because she knows who he is. But no suggestions, no demands. And I also find something else really important. She brings an obedient spirit. Do whatever he tells you. She said it to the serpent, servants because that's her relation with him. See, the lessons come from a wedding feast. Not a king's subject, not a shepherd's sheep. Though those are perfectly valid analogies as well. John begins with a wedding feast. And I want us to think about that as we think about this. Because this is the defining metaphor that starts John's entire story of Jesus. Is we're bridegroom, we're bride to his bridegroom. Six stone water jars. That's a lot. Holding 20, 30 gallons. Okay, now can you do the math? Can you do the math? How many gallons is that? Well, if we average it out, that's 150 gallons. 150 gallons of what? Whoa! I mean, what he's doing? He makes a lot of excellent wine, a lot of it. And see, again, that says something. He takes ordinary water in ordinary jars, filled in ordinary ways, by ordinary servants, and next thing we've got the best wine ever. And what I want us to do is remember this, because I didn't grow up this way. When you think a defining metaphor of Christianity, think of a wedding feast. Christianity is joyful celebration with Jesus. And when I think of Christians, at least the ones I grew up with, they're always, no, no, that's bad. Critical, judgmental. I mean, that's what so much the world thinks of Christianity. Self-righteous. And there's some truth to that. Now, I know a lot of you. I don't know all of you. I don't find that to be true at Grace Community Church. I find us much more on the wedding feast side of Christianity. Of joyful celebration of the goodness of God done together. We just don't do enough food around here. We need some more convivios. Amen, yeah. 
absolutely. They haven't been, maybe I should just go and join the Comunidad de Gracia and come in the afternoon, except I don't speak Spanish. Well, Jesus did Canada's first the signs and the disciples believed in him. Now, that's not the most literal translation. The Greek preposition is not ain, it's ice. And ice has the connotation of into. So what does it mean that they believed into Jesus? And I think what this is saying is their belief, because they saw what happened, and it was a sign that revealed who he is and what he is doing and what the kingdom looks like. And they believed into relation with him and into his mission. And that's what this story invites us to do, is invites us to come to the wedding, come to the feast, come and celebrate, come participate. But it's not just a feast, it's a mission but it's got feasts and a lot of them along the way. The disciples believed into him. And that becomes a lesson for us, of course. Will we believe into the mission of Jesus? Now, we know the mission of Jesus is going to take him to the cross. And one of the realities of Christianity is we're going to deny our self-comfort. We're going to give up our privileges for the sake of the worthless to me person. And what happens though is when you do that, you find it the most fulfilling thing ever. As I was pondering this sermon and just thinking about some of the worthless to me people that I've had a chance to help. They're not worthless to me now, but they began that way. And I reached out to them, giving up privilege, giving up lots of different things and came into relation with them. My sort of son, Christopher, I'm gonna see him here in a couple weeks. He's back now in Oklahoma. And he began a throwaway kid, literally a throwaway kid. My son David met him because his mom would, when she had a gentleman over, she just threw him out. And David brought him home. And we invested in him and he came to Christ. And Jeanette, his now wife, came to Christ too, and I got to do their wedding. And I have a great relationship. I've got a sort of grand, I've got a sort of son, a sort of daughter-in-law, and two sort of grandkids. Because I reached out to them, and I was at their wedding. And I'm gonna go celebrate with them first week in November back in Tulsa area. See, that's what it comes out. There's you join the mission, and it's incredible. It's incredible. Jesus is the bridegroom preparing his bride. He's preparing us to be participants with him in the joyous feast and the mission around that. So Jesus followers. This strikes me. When Jesus did that, he didn't walk over and say, be wine. He told some servants, go fill the jars. He takes what is incredibly ordinary with its failures because wine can, water can never make you clean. It's only a ceremony. It's only a ritual. It's only a symbol. Wine brings you joy. And he turns it into extraordinary, but he does it in his time and his way. So a common prayer we have is, oh Lord, how long? As we go through long nights sometimes. We find sometimes... <laughs> God seems awfully brusque. 
And I find God is really hard to get. I find myself constantly, God, help me understand. I don't get you. But I say it to my bridegroom. I don't say it to a distant judge. Because our metaphor is a wedding feast. Richard, you want to come up here? We're going to sing in just a minute. Respond to Jesus, do whatever he says, even when it means filling water jars. And I look at this, and I think, water jars? Like, what that's got to do with anything? Come on, let's, have, let's do something useful. They've already done their washing. They don't need more water. And see, faith means I do what he says, even when it makes no sense. There's lots of those. Joy begins with Jesus' presence. And it's awesome. Joy begins with Jesus' presence when we come into that relationship with him. But it becomes full, joy becomes full in trusting and obeying him. Servants, Mary, disciples. You in fullness of joy? Join the mission. And that's where it comes from. And that's what he invites us to do. He invites us to participate in the wedding preparations for the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what we're doing now. And that's the invitation we have. And one of the things we do here on this weekend is we have baptism. Now, right back there is some, is the water warm, Stephen? You're sure? Yes. Did you personally test it? No. Okay, I don't trust you. We think the water's warm. <laughs> no, it's warm back there. There are some of you here perhaps who have never done the step of baptism, which is a way of saying, I'm into Jesus. We'll do it right now. You have no excuse. We have clothes. We have towels. We'll take care of you. We'll leave you dry at the end. But what you do is say to everybody, I'm with you guys. I'm a Jesus guy. And if you've not been baptized, today would be a great time. Or come back next service and we'll do it again. Online, show up. We're ready for you. Do you want to say, I want to join the feast? This is a great way to say it. A great way to say it. So Dave Christensen is over there, and if you'd like to do that, go talk to Dave. He's got a few simple questions for you, and we'll take care of you. Yeah, great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord, Father of the Bride, Bridegroom, Holy Spirit knitting us together. We will praise. But you know, I think about this. We've been talking about weddings here. There's some of you who are not married. You always want to be married and it's not worked out. And hearing about joyous weddings is shoving a knife into your heart. So you've been married and broken. The disaster of divorce. And hearing a sermon like this is really difficult. And I'm telling you, celebrate. And see, the reality of Jesus' wedding feast is not ignoring in any way the pain of the life here. No way. What it is saying is in the midst of the horrors of this world where Satan is the prince of this world with all the evil he brings on there's another kingdom at work. 
It's the kingdom of Jesus. And we get to be bridegroom to the bride who's preparing a feast, but there's a lot of preparation yet to do. And the stories that we've got here at Grace, I just think, I was thinking of Foster Parents Night Out that we do here, just one of the many ministries you do. Pregnancy Resource Center, that's where you work, right? You told us our story at the banquet the other night, how you gave an ultrasound to a woman and she just lit up when she saw her baby. I want to be there. Can I do that? I wish, but no. No, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but see, that's the thing, is we're preparing for a joyous feast, but that brings joy into the present because we can celebrate the goodness of God and the horrors of the presence of enemies, as Psalm 23 says. But that means we remember who our Lord is. And then you can bring joy and hope into the places of darkest despair. Well, it's a night at Gethsemane when the soldiers are on their way or a day of loneliness because we're married to a bridegroom who's willing to pour out his blood to be our wine for the new feast. That's a metaphor, a symbol of what the life is about. But you know what you've got to say first? Before you can really experience that joy, you need to be like Mary. You need to go to the Savior and say, I've got a problem. There are prayer teams here. Go talk to one of them. Say, I've got a problem. Or I've got a joy. They have to pray with you in joyous times too. Next steps happens, where does that happen? The cafe? Yeah, over next door. Go over there and sit with the folk there and they'll give you free coffee. At least once. Talk to any of us who are wearing these name tags. That's why we got them. We're, we'd love to share the joy with you, but we won't deny the hardness of life either. Because what we're about, Grace Community Church, bridegroom to the bride and Messiah. Go change the world with that good news. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.